0: I'm not trying to get by. I don't wanna feel real free. I'm not trying to get free. I'm not
1: want to feel real free. I'm not trying to get by.
0: Today, we're here with Rob Thomas, and we are excited to hear from the man himself of the Racial Justice Coalition and the leader uh, in many forms in our community, doing work to bring the community together. The Racial Justice Coalition, for those that may not be familiar, seeks to achieve and sustain deep equity by building power to those historically underrepresented, dismantling policies and institutions that uphold racism and reimagining a community where justice exists for all people. We'll be hearing from Rob Thomas today about how we can get involved and support not only the work of the Racial Justice Coalition in our Asheville community, but what it would look like for movements like this to ignite across our country and potentially the globe as a lot of us are having difficult conversations about race racism, race issues, the mistreatment of black people, colorism, racial equity decarceration, food justice, climate justice, and so many other social issues facing our communities at this very moment, not to mention COVID-19. I'm really excited to be able to continue these conversations. And so I want to thank you all that are tuning into this episode in advance for your support in our day project and our work to build a future and build a world beyond oppression but also for those that specifically tune into the Rhythm and Resilience podcast as we consider this our living room, our kitchen table, our front porches, where we're bringing to you all the conversations that we most need to be having in order to really actualize ourselves and actualize equity. With that, I want to welcome on at this time uh, Rob Thomas. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Who are you? What's what's your role with the Racial Justice Coalition and, and what evidence of resilience do you see in your life? Yes, um,
1: my name is Rob Thomas. I am a 33-year-old uh, male African-American born and raised here in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, the role that I play within the Racial Justice Coalition Asheville is, uh, is very multifaceted. I wear uh, many different hats, but I would like to say uh, I focus heavily on strategy and um, community engagement i look at our role in this is to assist with empowering the community to uplift their voice and achieve the things that they are looking for to help with the issues that are the disparities within our communities um resiliency within within my life i've (laughs) i've seen a lot a lot of different things within my life that has shown me that that i'm resilient um for me i would say doing 11 years of incarceration and then being home for two and a half years which i have been now and being able to accomplish a whole lot within that short amount of span uh, even though i have every stigma not every but i have a lot of stigmas attached to me because of my criminal background Mm
0: And I'm also honored and excited about the conversation that you brought to our Just Us event that we actually co designed, co authored, and organized together, um, and the conversation that was able to be had around decarceration. And that was back on Earth Day, April 25th. For those that weren't able to join us online for that, you can still see traces of the work being hap- uh, that are happening, not only in the work with us, with our day project, but also um, in those that attended the event and the conversations and the, the way that we were able to have those kinds of conversations. And one of the most important ones I feel was the panel that we held and that we hosted on decarceration. And I remember when we were having our organizing meetings and our planning meetings, one of the things that felt real right away was we needed to have this conversation Um, and not to exclude it from this larger conversation of reclaiming ourselves as creative beings, reclaiming our care and our right to take care of ourselves and to have opportunity and advancement in these sorts of things. So I wonder if you can just, for those that may not have attended the decarceration panel or the Just Us event that we held back um, in honor of Earth Day and Stand Against Racism in partnership with you all, you know, why was that conversation important then? And why is that conversation still important now?
1: Yeah. Um, It was very important then because coronavirus was just really starting to affect us heavily and especially inside of the the carceral system itself because individuals are kind of contained in large numbers with each other. And it's like a breeding ground for disease. So the incarceration then was more important than ever as it still is now. And now uh, the things that have been implemented from that is making those things long-term to lower prison uh, populations, to lower jail populations and also address the system as a whole because that was a crack in the door that was open. And whenever that door opened, you know, we started looking at all types of things such as um, white supremacy culture that exists within not only the justice system, but every other system. And uh, decarceration is, is still very important because all of these things were strategically set up to affect specific demographics more than they would other demographics. Mm-hmm. So now that we have uh, you know that door open, it's, let's open it even further and see how much change we can produce within the next five to 10 years
0: yeah, and let's be real, let's name it because this is a this is a space about truth telling. So let's name the fact that you know systemic racism has been at play since the founding of our of our of our country and and what we what we've experienced as black people. You know, you and I have exchanged even just small pieces of each other's stories about some of the traumas um, or inequity or disparity that we've experienced just because we're walking around in a black body. You know, And so what you're bringing about decarceration is so important, and I want to just be explicit about the fact that it's disproportionately impacting Black males. Um, and one of my beliefs, and one of the things that I know, and that I've spent a lot of time really trying to understand as I do my own due diligence and my own work as not only a Black woman, but as somebody who considers themselves to be an organizer. And a changemaker because I really can't stand to see injustice. And so for me, I, I've had to also in this work become a historian in a way, and become a policy analyst, you know, and really understand how I can look at what has histor- historically happened, and 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 bring it forward, facing to recognize that this isn't just history; this is playing out today. Like this conversation is relevant because these systems and policies are put in place, okay, historically, but they're still playing out today and impacting us right now. And so, with that, I think that there's also, you know, the recognition of how all these systems have been very interconnected. And I think about how, you know, be, for me, you know, growing up with a black teenage mom who was raising four kids by the age of 25, mostly on her own. And she, you know, she refused to have um, or to receive public assistance um, because of some of the ways that public assistance set its criteria or its guidelines, right? And it was, it's so mind boggling to me to be sitting having this conversation right now with you at 30, me, 34 years old, you at 33, um, and to recognize that in order for her to get that assistance, she had to make a decision on whether or not she was going to have a black male in the house and decide whether or not she was gonna have this family unit and she had to choose. And this has played out now for at least the 10 decades that I've been born and these policies and these sort of practices are still in place. And then you see, you know, for me in my eyes, I'm looking at, okay, well, where are the black males, right? And if we know that the the carceral system is disproportionately impacting black males and at the same time, the handout or the charity or the support that's being given to single black mothers is we'll give you this. If you don't have a black male in the house to me, I'm like, that's a systemic, a deeply systemic, deeply racist, deeply intentional practice to divide and conquer the black family. And we could see this play out on so many other threads. Right. But I think again, I'm bringing that. I wanted to name that because my work has really required me to be aware and to continue to educate myself and to continue to educate others on how all these things are connected and how they're playing out and so even though there are different organizations doing this racial equity work we have to recognize that we're we at some point we can't work in silos because it's just too connected to be trying to hit this thing at from one side right and so I, wa- I wonder with that being said, if you could talk a little bit about what are, how are the ways in which you've been organizing your people with the Racial Justice Coalition, how are you educating yourself and educating others about the realities of how this system and these policies have played out?
1: That's a very good question. It seems like I learned something new every day um, to address the the first part of the question, you know, how am I uh, helping to educate people? Simply speaking, my truth, and and that's a combination of data and metrics and my own personal lived experiences that uh, creates a narrative and a story behind numbers. Because numbers mean nothing if you're just looking at it as numbers. But you gotta understand that, that every number within the opportunity slash achievement gap, or every number within uh, depths from, from social determinants of health. Or every number within the criminal justice system is a person, and each one of them people yes. have stories. So whenever you start putting the stories to the numbers, you get a, a you get better engagement. And then sometimes it's, it's not a quick process as far as the education of people because our society teaches them something different. You know, there's this whole rhetoric of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and and you know. Slavery and and racism was a thing the past. It doesn't exist today. Mm-hmm. And trying to show people that it just mutates. Like you know, we can change policy after policy and system after system, and they mutate. Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> ended slavery. You got Jim Crow. Yeah. Ended Jim Crow, and and we get a whole bunch of policies from the FHA and predatory lending. And, and, and
0: may may I just I don't I don't want to interject, but may I just say the Thirteenth Amendment legalizes slavery by by criminalization like let's state that as well
1: oh yeah the institution of slavery is now hereby abolished unless duly convicted by a felony crime like you know unless duly convicted like that's like what you just said you are legally a slave Uh, you are state property Um, if you harm yourself while in prison you can get two charges inflicting uh, bodily injury on yourself and also destruction of state property because mm-hmm. the state owns you with that. Point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, that just transformed into a ne- different thing. They turned slavery uh, and took it and put it under a different name and a different institution and uh, legalized it in another form and fashion. It just mutated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, educating community comes in all forms and fashions, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's showing up and meeting, whether it's doing a large event, whether it's just walking around and, and talking with people, you know, that's, and I'm learning from them at the same time, you know, I learned, especially from my elders, like I learned what was happening before I even existed here locally. I'm learning some of the, some of the backstories to the things that I'm trying to help change. I'm learning How to be a better me at the same time, because you know our elders are very wise, and it's kind of on us youth to use our energy. Mm -hmm. But but a lot of them know the way. Like Mm -hmm. you know, I was told by an elder that you know the elders we got the blueprints, and we can tell you where to find the bricks. But it's on the young, the young individual to to build the wall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, dual education. I learn while I'm helping others learn as well. And I think that's the only solution. That's the only way to be anything similar to a leader is learning while you're helping others learn. Like, I'll, I'll never know everything. I I learn something new every day, you know, Mm -hmm. just empowering the community and being able to provide them with a platform like, like this wonderful platform that you have to be able to talk about these things, I think is, is is a very important to, to getting that stuff done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I'm hearing you say too is like everybody doing their part, you know. And we have these conversations often because, um, you know, we we I consider you to be one of like my favorite co-conspirators in Asheville. And at this point, it's like, you know, if I see Rob Thomas pop across my screen, I'm gonna do what I can to get the phone call or at least call, you know, return return the call, call you back quickly because. You know, I feel like your leadership and your, um, your character, your values, your your morals, and all of that is really transforming our community in ways that need to be acknowledged and and lifted up and celebrated. Because for your story, for your experience to have taken the the turns and and hit the the roadblocks and had to overcome some of the hurdles that you have being a black male, but then coming out of you know the carceral system and saying okay not only did I make it out of that system and I and I conquered navigating it and surviving it, but I want to actually be part of changing this and disrupting it and finding a different way because this is my lived experience. This is my trauma and I'm going to actually exercise my trauma and you know do something about it as opposed to just complain and um, be who they expect you to be when you come out of that system, which is that you're going to be a return offender. Um, and so I really have to say that you know because i think that one of the things too that we're maybe naming not naming in our conversation is that we're act we're also at a point of repair within the black community and like not only that repair with ourselves but really understanding systemically how the black family has been disrupted for generations by things like the carceral system and and the ways that it impacts relationships but we're also at a place where we're having to learn some of these skills for the first time as far as you know what does a healthy relationship look like how do i you know have good partnerships and who how do i know who my people are um and i just see see your leadership and your vision being so clear and so consistent um and i think that the way that you make space for others is the way that i hope that a lot of black men are going to follow suit um, and and so and I and I think that that could be a whole other conversation. Is like you know the work uh, the work that there is maybe to do between black men and black women, especially those of us that are organizers and leaders in our community. But um, you know I, I wonder if you have any sort of like insights or like what are your how did how did you come at your arrive at your personal morals and your professional morals and for uh, youth you know that's in high school or college right now and is tuning in and wants to know, like, how do I decide that I have something to say and that I want to do something about it? Like, where is my place? Like, what would you say say to those individuals?
1: For me, uh, I had to figure out what my life purpose was really. And unfortunately that came to me while I was incarcerated in solitary confinement and meditation. And before I could figure out my life's purpose, I had to understand my ancestors' history, you know, where we came from to understand where I'm at and then decide where, I, the, where it is that I would like to go to. And um, so the first thing I would say is studying yourself is key and paramount to actually realizing your potential and what it is that... That is your purpose, because then it's not necessarily like work. You you're doing you. Like I feel as if, um, you know, I've been largely blessed because I get paid to be me. You know, and it's, believe me, it's not about the money. Like this is literally a dream that I had five or six years ago. And I converse with people that are still behind the wall, and ones that have came out, and they're like, "Man, you're really doing it." I'm like, yeah, I told you I would. And, um, so, you know, my message to them would be once you figure out what your purpose and intent is, then also figure out what it is going to take for you to do that. And don't give up. Like not many people said other things, you know, tried to uh, turn me in a different direction said that maybe I wasn't good enough. And, you know, I always have to lift up the ones that, that assisted me, you know, especially my elders, Um, a, a large amount of black people just here in Asheville and especially you as well, Cortina. I mean, there are several different things that mm-hmm. fell into place and I wouldn't be doing what it is that I am doing without so many different people doing several different things that fell into place to yes. allow me to do what it is that I'm doing.
0: Mm-hmm. So I can't
1: sit here and my ego be like, oh, this is all because of me. Like, no, nah. once you figure out your alignment, like, the universe helps you move in that purpose. Yes. Like, it, it literally Woo. assists you. It's on YouTube see what that is and then feel the pulls in the different directions and follow through with it. Yeah, Like, that's, that's where free will comes into play.
0: Mm-hmm. But...
1: This isn't because of me. You know, all I did was, was go along with where I was being pulled to.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh, Rob. So many, so much wisdom in what you just shared. And, you know, this being a, a space that's about recognizing that intersection between our ancient traditions and our radical futures, I just have to to acknowledge what you just named, which is that, you know, we're still in this practice, and this rhythm as Black people in community together, where we recognize that it takes a village, like it takes many hands to see a mission and a purpose realized. And that's not only true with, you know, organizations or tasks or things that we got to get done, but even us being able to step into our purpose and our contribution to community takes community for us to get there. And I really appreciate that you brought that in. And also, you know, one of my questions, one of my next or final next questions to you would have been what rhythms keep your life flowing in balance? and as you were sharing i was really hearing you name a lot about self-reflection and self-awareness surrender mindfulness trusting and asking for what you need and those all feel like really important practices for us not only to really ingest and hear and let wash over us but also those are gems and seeds for the next generation i think because just as you named when you talked about the elders at the beginning, you know, it's a baton passing between generations always. And just like you had a baton passed to you to like locate the bricks and build the foundation, there's gonna come a time when you're passing the baton to the next generation and saying, all right, y'all take this and do what you, you're gonna do with it and put your flavor or your spin on it. Um, and so I really appreciate that that's how you work as well. And, and what you brought in is just so much wisdom so my last couple of questions for you, as our time together comes to a close, at least in this iteration, is what might Asheville look like if love, care, trust, and community led the way? What's possible for our community? And and I would even say from the work that you're leading with Racial Justice Coalition, what, what's giving you hope? What's possible? What's
1: possible is us coming together and, and healing trauma from past historical events. And after that healing happens, we construct and rebuild our communities um, and be better than we were before. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that in real time, that looks like, you know, metric wise, that looks like the crime rate going down. Mm -hmm. That looks like the opportunity slash achievement gap diminishing. That looks like uh, equity and inclusion not being a debatable topic. It looks like a reality where you see individuals that are actively engaging in both ends. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like people taking pride in their culture and who they are, mm-hmm. and also having the resources to reach their full potential, which is the definition mm-hmm. of liberty. So, mm-hmm. it looks like liberation. That's what it, that's what it would look like.
0: Yes. <sighs> well, on, on that note, I just want to again invite anybody who's tuning in, who's learning about Rob Thomas or the work of Racial Justice Coalition for the first time, to definitely bookmark this website, rjcavl.org. There you can take a look at the Black Ash, Asheville demands, which has catalyzed a lot of reform and reparation in our community and will continue to do so. You can also find out about the mission of the Racial Justice Coalition. The core beliefs that drive the work and also see what some of these actions look like, um, look like from the front lines and get involved. And I really encourage those that are looking for ways to, to support and to maybe even exercise any privileges or resources they have. That this is definitely a coalition of organizations and individuals, I think, to get behind. And I know a lot of people are making donations and supporting at a national level with Black Lives Matter or Movement for Black Lives. And as much as I can, I'm encouraging my people and their people to give locally and to support the people on the ground locally because we need to see the change that we need f- happening from the ground up and from the people who have the experience in that community and in these neighborhoods that are willing to put in the diligence to organize us and to and to continue to grapple with these hard conversations. So. Consider consider giving locally if, you're, if you've are if only been given to Black Lives Matter or Movement for Black Lives, because this is what our future looks like. And with that, I want to offer up an opportunity for Rob to t- tell us a little bit more or anything about what's next for RJC or Racial Justice Coalition, um, any sort of campaigns or any opportunities to support your work that you want to specifically speak to, and then how do people get in contact with you?
1: Okay. Yes. Um, Our next major campaign is called Walk the Walk, and this is where we will literally be doing uh, door canvassing and, you know, directly in underserved populations here in Asheville, North Carolina, to engage them and record their responses to several different topics, such as the educational system, uh, criminal justice reform, reimagining policing, and the new uh, reparations resolution was implemented. We will synthesize, analyze this data, and uh, then compile plans of how we will get uh, the things that they are requesting and looking for passed or implemented and create an open dialogue with these communities where we do this on a regular basis, going in so that our organization is completely led uh, by the community. And at that point, we are just empowering the voice of the community. And um so that's our next major campaign. Uh, we'll be looking to uh pay individuals for taking the survey because individuals spend time on these surveys. We would be looking to compensate individuals within these communities that will help us do the outreach. And to help us fund this, you would go to rjcavl.org and um click on the donate today pay uh, button. And it'll take you to the page that will give you a breakdown, and explanation of the Walk to Walk campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll have a lot more details on that for you than what I could could summarize in in such a short time. Mm -hmm. But this is very important, though, you know, getting the voice of the community and then empowering it and and pushing it forward. Absolutely.
0: And then how do people get in touch with you directly if they wanted to offer up some support uh, in a direct way or just... Continue to have uh, opportunities to share your story. How do they reach you?
1: Um, one way would be uh, email at at info.rjcavl.org, or um, you know, you can email me personally as well. uh, RobThomas.rjc at gmail.com.
0: Awesome, and I'll include those links, all those links in the in the body of the episode, so people can reach out as well. Rob, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know that you are headed to a very important meeting after this, as always, multitasking and doing the multidimensional work. (laughs) And I just wonder if you can send us off with an affirmation for the week ahead, wherever people are and whenever they listen to this, what would you like them to know? And if you can start your affirmation with I am. Yes, I am producing positive change that will unite us as a community and move us forward. And with that, thank you all for tuning in for another episode of Rhythm and Resilience. Please share with your family and friends that this is the kitchen table, the porch, the the living room couch to to be at if you're wanting to be engaged in these conversations while we're still stuck at home. We can still do it. We can move the work forward and we can be all that we were designed to be. Love y'all so much. See you next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you.